Parenting Today is a podcast produced by Reformed Youth Ministries. Whether you feel competent or confused in parenting, this podcast seeks to apply God's truth to the culture of today. For more information on this ministry, visit rym.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Parenting Today, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. My name is Kurt Cooper, and my co-host is John Parrott. Hey, Kurt. How's it going? Good to have you, John. Today, uh, we are making a little history on Parenting Today. We have the first guest in the long history of Parenting Today. We have, uh, we're we're seven or 14 episodes in, depending upon how you count it. Um, and our first guest is Julie Lowe. Uh, Julie, welcome. Thank you for having me. Excellent. Julie, Julie Lowe is a faculty member of CCEF. And if you don't know what those letters stand for, that's Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation. She holds an MA in Counseling from Biblical Theological Seminary. She is a licensed professional counselor with over 15 years of counseling experience. She has extensive experience with women's issues, sexual abuse, body image issues, parenting, child maltreatment issues. Uh, She regularly speaks at events on these topics. Julie is also a registered play therapist and has developed a play therapy office at CCEF to better serve families, teens, and children. She is a trained facilitator for Stewards of Children, a nonprofit organization that provides training on child sexual abuse. Julie has a trained therapy dog that she works with both professionally and on a volunteer basis. I probably want to hear more about that because I love dogs. <laughs> Julie and her husband, Greg, have uh, six children, um, and they serve as foster and adoptive parents. Uh, and important for our RYM listeners is that Julie is also going to be with us at RYM's Youth Leader Training in Nashville alongside Sandy Wilson uh, and other teachers. Uh, that uh, that conference is January 28th uh, through February 1st, and you can you can go to rym.org slash training to find out more about that. The reason, other than her credentials, which are many, that we would have Julie on is that Julie also has just written a book, a book called Childproof, which is available through New Growth Press. Um, and uh, that book's divided into two sections. And uh, this week in our two episodes, we're going to cover those two sections. Uh before I ask you what the book is about, Julie, where can people buy Childproof? Uh, New Growth Press. You can uh, go on their website, and Childproof is available. I believe it's also on Amazon and ChristianBook.com, probably some other sites as well. Uh, but it's available through New Growth Press, and they're a great organization. Okay, well, I am uh, the father of a seven-year-old and an 18-month-old. And so uh, when... Uh, when our, our younger one was born, we had to re-childproof uh, the house. And that's the name of your book, Childproof. <laughs> and so just to start off, uh, and I don't think that's what the book is about. I don't think it's about uh, outlet covers and um, <laughs> sharp objects. From, uh, I, I have read it, so it's not, I know that that's not what it's about. But um, tell us a little bit about uh, how you came up with the concept of Childproof. Yeah, I will uh, credit my, my editor, Barbara Giuliani, to that. She... Uh, the, the humorous side to that is I was carrying a mug one day with full of coffee um, and meeting with her and the mug read, I childproof the house, but the, they keep getting in. Um, <laughs> and it became, it became a joke as we we're talking and she decided, you know what, she really liked that. Um, 
because we all we all desire to in many ways childproof our homes both from parenting formulas but also from the dangers we think our kids and our homes are um, are going to experience and so the theme of the book really is the subtitle parenting by faith and wisdom not by by formula um, and what does it look like to really engage our, our families well, love them in a, a very personal, intimate way, in a very biblical way? Hmm. Yeah, that, that's a good summary. And <clears throat> again, yeah, I really appreciated the book. And um, I, I'm, I'm assuming, Julie, that uh, there, there are some listeners out there who may be thinking, okay, you know, here's another book on parenting. You know, why do we need another book on parenting? There, there are so many. And so just kind of giving mm-hmm. you the opportunity of, um, <clears throat> you know, what was it that moved you uh, to write this book on parenting and, and kind of what, what makes your book different from other parenting books? Yeah, I, amen to that. There are so many parenting books out there. And that was one of my my stumbling blocks as I thought about writing it because I didn't want to just be a, another person out there with another opinion and another possible formula for people to follow. And probably the place I've seen both personally and professionally parents struggle is they they're comparing their families and themselves to an ideal out there. And sometimes it's a very specific ideal. They can name it. They can talk about what it looks like. And sometimes it's this nebulous, I'm not doing life the way other people are. Everybody else seems to have their act together. And why are my kids struggling? Why am I struggling? And so there's both a perceived and maybe an imaginary ideal out there that we all tend to to want to formulate our homes around. Or we see other families who who look like they're doing it so well and we try to mimic what they're doing and it doesn't translate over well. Um, And that really became the foundation of the book to say um, there is tremendous liberty in scripture to love personally um, and to love individually. And why are we not applying that to home life? Um, We're so quick to come up with formulas on what roles should look like, what people's uh, job responsibilities are in the home, what the right discipline approaches or educational approaches, instead of saying, is it quite possible that we need to consider that child by child and family by family and that there are very unique needs in each of our homes that require us to think wisely biblically, but very individually, and have the freedom to do that well. So that's really mm. the gist of the book. Um, that's a that's a great answer. I, again, you know, I'm only about a year and a half removed from having uh, a newborn, and uh, I was reminded just how you're flooded with all of these uh, formulas. Uh, you know, you've got to do this. I don't want to name check any of them because I don't want to cast dispersions or praise on any of the different formulas, but yeah. uh, we definitely felt that pressure. I have a question about something that you write in there. You write in the book that oftentimes parents want an immediate solution to certain problems. Like um, I want my child to quit sucking his thumb or I want my right. daughter uh, to not, come and wake me up in the middle of the night. I mean, want to get in the bed with me, but you say what, what we, what parents really need is they, they really needed was time. Could you talk a little bit about what you mean by that? Yeah, I, I think sometimes it's understanding what, what's behind the struggle. So you're, you're picking some examples of, of things that, uh, you can have really great practical solutions, how to get kids to stay in their own bed or stop sucking their thumbs. And, 
I do want to say there are many ways I've grown by looking at other families and seeing how they've handled Christmas traditions or handled mm. kids getting to bed and gone, I love that idea. That'll work with our home. I'm going to apply it. But so we, we all have ways of benefiting from seeing how other people do life for sure. It's when we look at that and say that is the standard for doing life. So when um, when we look at our own children, what works with one child might not work with the other because what we need is the time to really invest in knowing our child personally. Um, and I keep using that language, but there's something about understanding what motivates their behavior. So discipline is a great example or debate is a good example with my kids. There's, there's some of my kids where when they're debating me, I know their debate is a struggle to understand and I can enter into the debate with them because I'm, I'm striving to win their heart and engage their mm. mind in what the struggle is. But then we know there are children <laughs> where debate means I can potentially um, change your mind and my will will be done um, in a child. And I know that if I give them an inch, they will they'll take uh, 20 miles and run with it. And they're not debating to understand, they're debating to win. Um, mm. And so my approach with another one of my children might be, I'm not arguing with you. Here's what I said. You need to do it. Um, so when I say you need to take time, I think uh, wise parenting means I understand what's behind some of my kids' struggles and why they struggle. So if a child wants to curl up in bed with me at night and I want to get them an issue? Is it just a comfort issue? Is it a, I hate going to bed and I just want to stall as long as I can issue? Because when you understand what's behind those things, it informs how you're going to shape it. Um, and that's what I'm, I'm referring to, that I really wish we were really thoughtful. And there are a lot of parents who are very thoughtful in saying, I understand what, what motivates their behavior and that's going to inform why I do what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. And I, and I don't want to just keep kind of harping on this, this I, I, ideal uh, that you talk about, but I, I do, I think that that leads into something you said, because I love how you, you do constantly caution parents um, from pursuing certain, you know, styles of parentings or, you know, the family ideal, as we keep saying, I just think, you know, so much with social media kind of feeds that, you know, looking at other families and people thinking, you know, that's what I want my family to look like. Um, But you say, you make this statement, you say, it is possible that your picture of the ideal family is keeping you from understanding and loving your actual family in the ways God has in mind. And and then you go on to say, you know, biblical wisdom equips you to create a home that is attentive to the individual people God has placed within it. And so could you talk about that a little bit more? I know that's kind of what you were hitting on, but could you just elaborate a bit more? Yeah, there are there are different needs in in a home, and then there are families who have specific uh, things that are so different, like a child with special needs, or um, a, a child who, in in some degree, requires more effort or work, or you know how many children you have in your home versus a, a home with one child, or you have a single parent home where there's a parent who's really wrestling to be both mom and dad. Um, and and navigate it. So you're you're often weighed down by look what other people are doing, and am I failing at loving at loving my family because I'm using some some other family or some other ideal 
to understand that instead of saying, Lord, with the people you've given me, their personalities, their strengths, their weaknesses, their their temptations and where they're prone to sin, how do I navigate parenting them well? So an example of that could be anything from um, what the rules are about technology to are we morning people or night people and how do we establish our routines and um, I, I don't look to the outside world any longer to define that, but I look to the unique people God's given me in my home to love them well. The same in marriage, by the way, um, that there are two people, my husband and I, we have strengths and weaknesses. He is the cook of the family because he loves it and he's good at it. And I burn food <laughs> and um, the kids, you know, it's just how we establish our home life to say, we, we don't try to come up with roles and formula. We look at who are we wired? What are we good at? Um, how do we thrive? How do we partner together to bring out the best in each other and, and to shepherd our kids well? So we're, we're really looking at each person in the home saying, all right, God, you brought us all together as a family. Now, what does it look like to love each other well? Um, and how do we work together as a team and how do we love each other well? And how do we love each child specifically knowing their strengths or weaknesses? So it means we'll educate our kids potentially differently. Um, there might be one child who's homeschooled and one child who's in public school and one who's in Christian school. Why? Because we're always evaluating, not my parenting preference, though I have my parenting preference, but I'm evaluating what do is my child actually need and then help me to be what they need in the moment. Mm, that's really good. Um, one of my favorite parts of your book is um, you reference a do- First of all, I watch a lot of documentaries and you reference a documentary, actually a pretty famous one that I think a lot of people have seen called supersize me. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, which is a fascinating documentary. Yeah. Um, and we maybe offline, we could talk about some more food documentaries if you're interested in that. But uh <laughs> But you say that um, that many families survive on fast food interaction, mm-hmm. and uh, and you, I think this is like pages thirty five and thirty six, and a little, you, you kind of bring it back there again. Um, talk. I just thought this is one of the most enjoyable parts of the book to me, and also kind of the scariest because I'm sometimes I worry that that's what I'm doing, but not sometimes. Most of the time, I worry it. But we're not here for you to cancel me. Um, let's talk about what. Talk about fast food interaction and what you mean by that. Yeah, it's kind of what keeps life moving. Who's taking who to soccer practice? Where do you have to be tomorrow? How do we get lunches ready? It is that perpetual cycle of what do we have to do next? And have you brushed Mm -hmm. your teeth, done your homework, taking your shower? And life, what I see repeatedly is families live life on that regular fast food interaction, just getting through the next day. What do we need to communicate to each other? And there's nothing, there's no sitting down and really nurturing. And so I, I think I say it in the book, but there's a difference between sustenance and nourishment. So fast mm-hmm. food gives you sustenance, right? But it's really depleted of anything good for you. And if you live on it a long time, just like the documentary shows you, it takes a toll on you. It begins to erode. Um, relationships that erodes you physically and there's nothing nourishing being poured in and I do believe more and more this is happening in family life that um, parents are not modeling nourishing conversation that says I care about you deeply I'm willing to sit and 
and have a conversation or I'm willing to do the painful work of pulling out a child that is resistant and not wanting to talk to me because I'm demonstrating you're worth pursuing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. That was a very helpful section that you brought up because, yeah, I mean, it is becoming more of a commonality that, and like Kurt said, you bring this back up on page 73 that oftentimes families aren't really connecting. They're simply coexisting. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we, we have five children now and our oldest is 11 and I'm just seeing that more and more. Um, how busy life gets and how so many mm-hmm. things are coming at you. Again, all the different personalities you're dealing with within the home, but then the you know, church activities and extracurricular and, and everything. And so you can fall into this this pattern of, you know, like you're saying, fast food interactions. And I think that's yeah, definitely uh, worthy of more discussion and, and more uh, families just kind of considering that. So I thought that was that was very helpful. And um, another thing that you bring up, it seemed like two, two or three times, uh, is the encouragement to parents um, that they are their child's wise counselor. You know, that, mm-hmm. is, that is God has perfectly positioned them as the expert of their child. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that said, I know that there are many parents who think, you know, no way. You know, we, we need professional help. Um, with with this issue and to be sure that there are times and maybe specific issues that may call for outside help or outside counselors but could you give a few words of encouragement to those parents who may be listening just kind of what what you're what you're saying by them being the experts of their child yeah i love counseling families when i have parents involved which is sometimes counterintuitive when you go to a professional counselor, they see themselves as an expert, they talk with your children, and they leave parents out. And I really think a biblical model is, you know, as much as I work with your child, I'm going to work with you as a parent, because I do believe you are going to be there long term. My job is to work myself out of a job and for you not to need me. So doesn't it make sense that as Christians, we're equipping parents to love their children, we're equipping them to know how to walk them through life and counsel them through the hard moments. So it's not that counselors are are not valuable. I wouldn't be one if I didn't think they were, but it's me realizing my place is to support the parents and to equip them to know how to love their children better and that they really do. I mean, intuitively, there are things parents know about their kids um, personality-wise and what will get them to open up and how they respond to things. And so it's so fun and delightful for me when parents just sit down and I we just have time to really focus on one child at a time and I draw them out and I ask questions and they start to see yeah actually we we do know a lot more than we think about what's going on here and and to equip them to say well what if you tried these things and encourage you to go back their child and build relationships it's probably one of the most fulfilling things I do um so I don't know if that answered your question or not. Absolutely. I, I think that was good. I, 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 this is, we, we obviously, John and I have, have written down some questions that we, uh, you know, that we, that we would definitely want to cover. And this is not on our script, but I just wanted to break for a second and ask you, um, when you're talking about um, uh, being involved with your child um, and you talk about that vacuum that can occur where you're not relationally present for your child. And so mm-hmm. they're maybe their peers take that spot. Mm-hmm. Um, for people who have younger children, um, talk to me about walking the line between uh, being relationally present for your child, but also not being a crutch for them because you want them to be independent um, children. You want them to be able to do things on their own. 
um, without, you know, constantly asking for your assistance. But at the same time, you want to be present for them. Can you talk to me a little bit about like the give and take of that? Yeah, we might need to talk that out for a minute because I don't think one, it almost is like we pit them against each other. Like if I'm relationally mm-hmm. present for my kids, then I'm going to be a crutch to them. And that's very different. And we have all kinds of crazy parenting labels now for everybody. You're a helicopter parent or a lawnmower mm-hmm. parent or a free range mm-hmm. parent. And yeah, there's, I mean, those exist because there's huge generalizations we can make, but you know, good parenting is involved and present and engaged in ways that I don't, uh, I, I created the new parenting one. It's the janitor parent who goes around cleaning mm-hmm. up their kids' messes and mm-hmm. does not, mm-hmm. does not teach them to fail and learn from their failure. And so they're not mutually exclusive. An engaged, loving parent wants to teach their child to stand on their own and make good decisions. I, I, I love sitting down with my kids and entering debates when we're just having fun debates and letting them have freedom to have their own opinions and then challenging them about why they're thinking the way they are because you're raising then mature adults who know how to think for themselves and um, engage well with the world around them. Uh, so you're not handicapping that and that they only need you, but you are bonding with them and you're showing them the value of meaningful relationships in ways they're not getting with their peers and on social media. Oh, that's that, Thank you so much. I, I have one other one of my favorite sections of your book is when you start to talk about rules. And I think that's because that's where I am in parenting personally. It's like mm-hmm. we're in a more, you know, when you have younger kids, rules are, um, Necessary. I guess, a bigger deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And because uh, so Kurt's a legalist too. That's why. <laughs> yes. Well, that, that we, we can work on gonna, that. <laughs> I wasn't going to add that, but yes. So, um, and John, you're breaking the rules, right? No. <laughs> um, uh, when you talk about rules, you, I've heard it said like this. Um, you talk about like two sets of rules. Uh, first of all, you talk about like sin issue rules or moral rules or, or what I might call God's rules. And then you talk about like things that are just like good to do or smart to do. They're not necessarily um, God's rules per se, but they're um, but they're healthy um, behaviors that we want to instill. Could I feel like when I talk to a lot of parents, they struggle to um, to articulate that with their children. And I just wondered if you could talk about like those two different kinds of rules um, that, that you talk about in your book. Yeah. And another way of saying that, I'm just thinking when my kids were little, so we're in mainly the teenage stage with one eight-year-old, but my goodness, I had four kids under the age of five at one stage of life. And so the amount of times I was saying, go brush your teeth, don't chew with your mouth open, don't talk with food in your mouth. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just that incessant teaching good habits and healthy habits. Mm -hmm. And even for me to think, well, I, I can't get so frustrated with this stuff. They're at an age where it's habit and it's habit forming behaviors that aren't they're sinning and mistreating each other. That was a separate category. And so kind of in my mind, in our house, we came up with, all right, what are the zero tolerance rules? And then what are the minor ones? Because we want our kids to understand zero tolerance are the moral issues there. You never harm another person. You never mistreat or lie. Like those those are worthy of bigger disciplines where the minor things like you didn't brush your teeth when I told you or you didn't get your shoes on after the, uh, the third time, that may be more about habit forming, we treat it differently. And so here's here's where I'm practical by nature. I love helping parents think through 
here's one way of handling it. You know what? If I tell you that you need to brush your teeth and you don't, that's 15 minutes to bed early because I know I'm probably going to say it five more times. So every time they're getting a consequence, but it's not, you've been grounded now for five months. It's now you're going to bed an hour early because this is the fifth. So I'm trying to do habit forming stuff and I'm coming up with rules and consequences that seem to match the struggle um, without everything being a big ordeal and parents who get frustrated because they're repeating themselves a hundred times. Um, mm. And so I think it's it's helping our kids see too. So here we're in the stage where it's about how they dress when they go to church or it's about social media or it's about what they watch mm. on TV where they say, well, this isn't a sin issue, mom. I'm like, you're right. It's not, but it is our house rules. Why? Because we're crazy parents that have these kind of rules for you and <laughs> we'll make light of it. And, you know, the typical how I dress to church, God doesn't care how I dress. I'm like, you're right. God doesn't. But we do care if your hair is sticking out or you smell and haven't worn deodorant. And it's just polite um, social graces. And and so having these conversations where you're right, this isn't a we're developing a legalistic standard. It's just there's places where we can say as parents, we do have parenting preferences. And when you live on your own, you want to do this, that's fine. Do you have... um how do you respond? Because you brought this up, you said, "Well, we're the crazy parents, or whatever." Um, how do you re- how do you respond? Give give us the classical response. Um, Mom, we're the only family that does this. Everyone else, <laughs> <laughs> like this, weird. Why do we have to be so weird? Um, right. talk, talk to us about that for a little bit. Well, the big ones are probably our our views on technology, and Mm -hmm. I'm very much not anti-technology, so I feel like I need to start that way. Uh, And we have a son who is visually impaired and and losing his vision, and so he relies on technology as his lifeline, so we're very pro-technology. That said, we're pretty strict on it because we see the ways it can be abused Mm -hmm. and mistreated or just be addictive and overwhelming. Um, And so, for example, we have a rule, no electronics on school nights. And one of the reasons we say this, and again, I hate putting this out there because I don't want it to be a formula for everybody else, but Mm. our kids do go to school. And so one of the things we say to our kids is, listen, guys, it's not wrong to watch TV on school nights. It's not wrong to be on your, your iPad. However, we have you for maybe seven hours an evening, and we actually love you and want to engage with you. We like being around you. We want to talk to you. We want to play a board game or hang out and just chill out and talk to you. So I'm not willing to give up that three hours for all of us to stare at screens. So we break that rule on a regular occasion when it when it makes sense to, but we also... What we're saying is we love you and value relationship with you more than everybody going to their own corners of the house and being on screens and engaging with other people. Um, and so they do feel weird. They're like their friends will say things like, I'm the only one that don't, doesn't have an iPhone in my whole class or we're the only family that doesn't allow to watch TV on a school night. And I go, I'm sorry, guys, how do you feel about that? And some kids go, well, I wish we could. Other other kids will go, well, it makes perfect sense. You only have us three hours a night. And they're very logical about it because what they hear is we're willing to have conversation. We're not hard-nosed about it. We're not doing it because we feel like making life miserable for them. That they actually do really well at mimicking back the reasons. And it's rational. And They might sometimes say they don't like it or we're the weird family, but they'll also say, but we understand why you do it. Um, 
and they see the spirit behind it, which is really important to us. Yeah, and that goes back to that, you know, connecting versus coexisting. Um, that's yeah. that, that's so helpful. Um, Julie, I know we're uh, we're about to close this out, but one helpful aspect to your book is a section called the Parenting Toolbox. Uh, that's at the end of every chapter, um, and then kind of a a follow-up, I'd love for you to just kind of explain what the parenting toolbox section is, but then one specific uh, parenting toolbox section was um, having mealtime conversations. Um, mm-hmm. kind of, could you tell us some of those helpful practices that you've implemented at your, uh, at your family meals? Yeah, it's, it's one of my favorite ones too, to talk about um, because uh, it's just creative. I like being creative. I like learning from what other people are doing and, So again, it's not meant to be a formula as much as give you some ideas how to do things. And there's so many great resources out there. We have a box on our dining room table called Table Topics. You can get it on Amazon and lots of other places. It's just a box full of cards that ask questions that get everybody thinking. And we've done it for years and years. And the kids, I mean, they're, they're teenagers now and they'll still say, can I pull a card? Because they enjoy talking. They enjoy having conversations with adults, with each other, and it's been fostered. Um, And even in homes where it hasn't been fostered, it might be met with resistance. But the more adults say, hey, I'm interested in what you think about. I'm interested in what you have to say. Who doesn't feel cared for and loved that way? Even... Uh, we play a game called Agree, Disagree, and somebody gets to throw out an idea, and then everybody goes around the table and says if they agree or disagree and why. So it brings up the ability to talk about anything serious like uh, agree or disagree, it's wrong to have sex before marriage, or agree or disagree, it's secrets are bad or good. Um, it brings up hard topics to the ridiculous ones, which my eight-year-old will say, agree or disagree, Batman's the greatest superhero, and we'll have a whole well, conversation that, around ob- Batman. Or That's obvious, that's, by the way, it's Batman. Yeah. Go, go ahead, First of all, I have, to jump, I have to jump in right here and say that it's not obvious <laughs> for so many reasons. I'm sorry. And Superman's the greatest, but whatever, we got to keep going. Keep, keep going, right. Julie. Sorry. Batman doesn't really have any superpowers, but... Um, <laughs> yes, exactly, exactly, right. Julie. I knew See, that you would we, have the wisdom. We have this conversation, that's why. (laughs) Um, But several things happen there is one, we're fostering conversation. Two, we're showing our kids you can agree or disagree with us. Three, you are having a privilege to see how they actually think about subjects. Um, And four, they actually win each other over to conversations. So sometimes our kids will say, oh, can I change my answer? I agree with what he said. And it just has this fruitful engagement in saying, we can coexist, we can nurture conversation, we can disagree, and we can benefit from each other. And so the toolboxes are meant to do those kind of things. It's just saying, all right, let's, let's put some ideas out there and then decide what would work for your family and, and how do you engage them well. Yeah, that, that's really helpful. I mean, I've been surprised just at our, our dinner table. I mean, you know, we've got a two-year-old all the way up to an 11-year-old, um, but, but oftentimes... If I say, hey, do y'all want to hear a story? Just how silent it gets and how ready they are to, to listen. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but how, you know, sometimes we just think it's impossible to corral little children and, and engage them. But, but I think they're, they're more willing to do that than, than sometimes we're, uh, you, you know, we're prepared for. for. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think your book kind of 
definitely points that out and then again gives some tangible um, advice on how to engage your children because the, you know the dinner table is very important and as we're saying you know families are often um, dinner tables are becoming more and more absent in the home so yeah. um, hopefully yeah. trying to, to utilize um, that more but but Julie that, that's all the time we have for today but uh, those who are listening be sure and tune back in on Thursday as we continue this discussion with Julie so Julie thanks again Thank you.